Hello and welcome listeners to another episode of the Story Screen Presents exclusive podcast, The Colette Stuff. We're really excited to jump back in to this series. We've kind of taken a few months off. It's our busy season at the theater and for the website these past couple months, December leading into January and February, but we're catching back up. We're excited to get back into it. I am your host, Bernadette Gorman-White, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Burge. How are you? I am good, Bernadette. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm happy As- to be back with Tony. It was very nice to watch more movies with her in them. Yeah. Annoying my partner <laughs> when Diana <laughs> sees me watching more Tony Collette movies. She's like, you're still doing this? And I'm like, we're almost there. We're like, we're, this is, we're getting... These are now movies that I am at least aware of, for the most part. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the penultimate episode, technically, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, considering, yeah, we only really have one more chunk after this, and then we'll wait for things to build up and then cover, you know, five or six films at a time once they're released, or projects, I should say. Mm. But yeah, it's been a while since we've seen our girl, Tony. Felt like a familiar face going back to you for sure. It was, I mean, I mean, hereditary, which, which we're talking about right now. Like that, I feel like that was kind of like the like the ultimate kind of decider all the way back when we were sitting in a cabin in the middle of the woods at the first year of the drive-in, kind of being like, "What? Who would we want to cover if we were to pick like an actor and just go through their entire filmography?" And I feel like hereditary was like a big decider in that. If I'm remembering correctly, we it was like between Kate Blanchett and um, Tony Collette, which is very ironic because they were both in a movie together very recently. Yeah, we were talking about uh, Tony Collette, Kate Blanchett, Kate Winslet, and I yeah, feel like Tilda Swinton also got thrown in there. Very much, yeah. <laughs> and I think Robbie was the deciding factor, right? Because we were like, well, which of those would you be interested in? And he was really could only kind of immediately familiar with Tony Collette because of Hereditary. And I was like, no, that one. It's like, okay. And here we Mm -hmm. are. Here we are. Two years later? Almost? Yeah. Close. Because that would have been like, that would have been like September, October of 2020. I think you're right. I think you're right. So yeah, obviously this episode is titled Hereditary because that's the big one out of this chunk of films that we're going to be talking about. Uh, We decided... And as our podcast, we get to decide what it's titled. Yes. We get to do the choosing. Um, So, yeah, we're going to be talking about that towards the end of this episode, obviously, capping it off with Hereditary. But we are covering essentially a two-year span of Colette's filmography. Uh, The first film that we're going to be talking about came out in 2017, and the last film, other than Hereditary, was in 2019, so... She was very busy, as always, our Tony Collette, just working, working, working. Just to give you listeners a little insight into what we're going to cover in this episode, we're going to cover Please Stand By, Hereditary, Hearts Beat Loud, a short film from Arcade Fire called Money Plus Love. We have Birthmarked, a Netflix, BBC television series called Wanderlust. Uh, a short film called Let's Dance and Velvet Buzzsaw. And obviously, we'll throw Hereditary at the very end of that. 
So yeah, Burge, I think you're the one who gets to introduce this first film if you're Great. ready to dig right in. Great. Awesome. <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait to talk about this movie. Uh, yeah. First movie we're talking about is Please Stand By. Uh, 2017, uh, directed by Ben Lewin, stars Dakota Fanning. Um, and Dakota Fanning plays a uh, young autistic person uh, living in a home who likes Star Trek a lot and has a 500 page script for a an quote unquote episode or movie of Star Trek that she wants to enter into a Star Trek writing competition, um, which for some reason you can't email it. And um, <laughs> I don't know, makes no sense because uh, it does take place now because everybody has iPods and cell phones. So you could probably email it, um, especially if you're an autistic woman living in a home. I'm sure that you could ask and everything would be fine. But uh, she doesn't think of this. No one thinks of this. Um, and she goes on a uh, cross country trip to get or not cross country. I guess she's starting in like San Francisco and has to go to L.A. Is that the, what it is? Cross country yeah. a little bit. There's a little road trip, road trippy in there. Uh, For sure. To drop off her script in time at Paramount Studios in L.A. Um, uh, I did not like this movie. Uh, I thought that it was okay and it's fine, but it's really, it was really weird to watch. And I really like Star Trek and I wish that it was, it wish it leaned a little bit more into the Star Trek stuff because it kind of just felt like a lot of the Star Trek stuff was just kind of mannerisms and just kind of little like hints and stuff where I'm like, well, what's the actual like story about? Does the story have something to do with Star Trek? And it's like, well, a little bit, but really you could kind of make that argument, I think, for pretty much. You know, I think they could just as easily made it like an I Love Lucy episode and just like kind of twisted some things around a little bit. But I do understand the idea of, you know, it is very sweet about how fandom can kind of help people in traumatic situations and stuff like that. But ultimately, I was just kind of like, I wish there was a little bit more Star Trek in it because I love Star Trek. Uh, um, and as someone who loves Star Trek, I can tell you that her episode sounds pretty cool. Um 500 pages is very long, though. Um, I'm very <laughs> surprised someone would read that because uh, I feel like that's kind of breaking the rules. But who knows? Um, what would you what'd you think? What would you think of this? Please stand by. Yeah, I was immediately just shocked when I started watching this movie because of all of the outrage over Sia's film music that came out a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Because there was so much outrage about a non-autistic actress portraying an autistic character um there was also some controversy uh to get like really into inside baseball uh in please stand by and in music there are two characters who are kind of looking after these uh main characters in the film um in please stand by tony collette is kind of like the caretaker to uh the main character and then we have kate hudson in music kind of taking care of her sister music and there's a moment where both characters are having like a an episode i would mm. say and there's like a restraining method being applied to them to help get them back to where they are and help to ground them 
And in music, it was a big controversy that Kate Hudson char- Kate Hudson's character like did the constraint method, like got music to the ground, kind of just like put some force on her. And people were really appalled because they're saying that's an outdated way of helping someone who is having an episode that was very violent. Uh, you know, people were putting trigger warning on that film left and right. However, in the film, Kate Hudson's character is someone who is very new to this world, who's just trying to figure out how to deal with music. She doesn't know what she's doing, essentially. So I think it made sense that the character wouldn't know how to handle a situation like that. But meanwhile, in Please Stand By, there's a scene where Tony Collette's character, who does know how to handle people with circumstances similar to these characters in Please Stand By, and she also kind of uses that same method, which I thought was interesting. I don't really know enough about the world to know which methods are good, which methods are bad how to really help people in that situation. But I was just surprised watching Please Stand By because, well, I mean, I guess there was no controversy around it because no one heard of this movie. Like, this movie completely flew under the radar. But I was just really shocked that this film came out so closely to music, which I have mixed feelings about music. But I just felt badly that music got, like, hit with so much of a brunt of criticism and cancel culture, you know, really came for that film. And Please Stand By just like completely flew under the radar because I didn't know if they were handling all of the characteristics of that main character positively. I don't think they were aggressive enough or I guess non-aggressive enough for it to really matter at the end of the day. Like the movie didn't really seem to care so much about the story it was telling. I have no idea the people involved with the, the making of said film how closely involved they are with the autistic community, how much they know about that type of individual. I really have no idea. It was just an interesting movie. Like, what what made that person think that they should make a film like this? I guess I was just confused, really, watching the movie. <laughs> and you never really want to be confused while you're watching something. Mm. Like, why did this get made? How did this get made? Yeah. I feel like that's, I mean, I know like with the music controversy and, you know, just in general playing any, someone like who is non-autistic playing an autistic character, like has been done many, many times and not even just autism, but like anything that's on the spectrum or dealing with any uh, type of quote unquote, not normal um, kind of way of your brain working. Um, I do know that. I I would say that Dakota Fanning's performance in this, while on the spectrum, most definitely because it is stated in the movie, it's like a driving point of like of an A plot. Um, I think it's a little the mannerisms are a little bit more subtle um, and maybe, you know, a little bit more gleaned upon as respectful and restrained than something like. Um, music, which um, I can't watch because uh, that looks insane. Um, and I love Sia and I love that actor um, who's playing music. And I also love Kate Hudson. Uh, that just looks wild. Uh, but it is interesting that music kind of created this gigantic kind of influx thing because it was like Sia's 
big like kind of debut as a director and people were like paying attention to it and see it was really hot at the time and like as she always is i feel like sia just pops up like every three or four years and she's like the biggest thing in the world for like three months and this time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this time it was like it was because of this movie and everyone was excited for it and then they see the trailer. I remember. I remember the day that trailer came out. Oh boy, what a oh, day! Twitter yes. was an amazing, beautiful place to be on that day. Um, it was intense. But I think you. I think you hit the nail on the head as far as like why one why music got kind of hit while Please Stand By didn't because Please Stand By just really flew under the radar. I remember we are getting to the point now where it's like again a lot of these all these movies came out. Um, while the story screen banner had existed and the website particularly. So I was like keeping track of movies and stuff for like watching for my best of years and stuff like that reviews to do. So like we're starting to get into the point where it's like, I've heard of all of these movies. Like I had seen the trailer for please stand by when it came out, it was on my to watch list for my end of year. And then it's just one of those movies where middling reviews come out doesn't really look all that engaging. I haven't heard anything really about it that would force me to like give it the hour and a half I could give to another movie during crunch time. So I just never right. watched it. Little did I know one one day. You'd get there. I'd get there. <laughs> and unfortunately, please stand by. I think most of the characters do sink in, or most of the actors, I should say, do sink into their characters. But when Patton Oswalt shows up in a movie, he just completely takes me out of a movie. Yeah, <laughs> every I get time it's there. like it's Patton Oswalt. He loves Star Trek. <clears throat> I know he's a nerd. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> I get what they're trying to do with that, and it was funny because I saw Patton Oswalt's name in the credits, but he he doesn't show up until like the last ten minutes. And when he finally showed up, I was like, "Oh, that's right, Patton Oswalt's in this. How much more of this movie is there?" Yeah. <laughs> and also uh, the uh, the actor who I am forgetting her name right now, but uh, who plays his partner, who plays Pat. That's Calamity Jane from Deadwood. Oh, OK. Yeah, I can't remember her name right now. And of course, my. Uh, of course, my my phone now is like freaking out on me, but. Um, yeah, she's fantastic as Calamity Jane. And it was really funny. It's always funny seeing her non-calamity jane who's like covered in like an inch of dirt and has like all these like cool hats and like is it, it's always funny seeing her like as like what she actually looks like right yeah that is funny i mean she's a pretty pretty heavy character actress so yeah it's mm -hmm. fun yeah to see her in something and else speaking of fun uh appearances in this alice eve who plays um, Audrey, who's uh, Wendy, Dakota Fanning's um, character, older sister and possible future caretaker, uh, caregiver, caretaker, care caregiver. Mm. caregiver. Uh, and, and Alice Eve is notoriously uh, like a Trek uh, character because she was in um, Star Trek Into Darkness and not in any of the other ones. She did the she got half naked for no reason in a Star Trek movie. And it was like, well, get it. It's surprise, all, surprise. It's for all the boys. Yeah. Although and I will say, I don't like that. I think it's a little weird to have that in a Star Trek movie. However, if I was like eight years old growing up with Star Trek Into Darkness, I would like that scene and I would look oh. forward to it. And then when it would be gone, I'd be like, okay, back to Star Trek. Right. That movie exactly. sucks anyway, so who cares? Did that movie come out before... 
please stand mm-hmm. by or after mm-hmm. before. Yeah, that's fun. I, I think it's very intentional that Alice Eve is in there that like that's the like it's a very different type of character and Alice Eve has been in a ton of things but I think that it's very intentional to at least have like one main character be of like Trek legacy and due to everybody's ages and stuff like this and stuff like that in this movie I feel like it would make sense that they would go more towards like the the new uh reboot era absolutely yeah and then we have uh, Tony Rivoli. Is that his name? From uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. And he's in it briefly, and it's just kind of like, all right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, uh, what's his name? Um, he's right here. Michael Stahl David plays the uh, the husband, plays um, Audrey's husband, and he is the Cloverfield guy. He's the main character oh, yes. in Cloverfield. I was yeah. like trying to recognize him the whole time. I was like... I know this guy. Me and this guy spent some time together once in a movie theater, and he's very what important. What was it? What was it? And I was like, oh, it's Cloverfield, which I found out that Diana's never seen Cloverfield. Oh, interesting. I know. So I, I want to like, because that's a theater movie, so I want to like burn a DCP and like do it at the theater, because I feel like that would be a fun one to watch on a big screen, even though it's got TJ Miller in it. We'll, we'll get through it. Oh, yeah. I forgot TJ Miller was in it. Yeah. It's been a yeah. long time. See, I've only seen the first one, but I still have aspirations to see the next Three? There are four total, right? I think there's only three. Uh, okay, only three. There's 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is amazing, which is so, so good. And, and then, then there's Cloverfield Paradox. Paradox, which is okay. not good. And we recorded yeah, an episode on it, and you can listen to that because uh, it was <laughs> a great episode of, of podcasting. <laughs> we, we won the podcast award that year, whatever they call them now. Yeah, whatever they are. The, poop, the poopies. <laughs> It was Tony Revolori. I'll mm-hmm. correct myself. I left out a syllable of that kid's name. But yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll watch these uh, Cloverfield films and eventually listen to that podcast. It's good. <laughs> Years down the road. Years down the road. It's good. Something to look forward to. Um, last thing I want to say about Please Stand By, because then we can move on to more interesting films, um, is that uh, Tony Collette's character name is Scotty, and that is never once used as a joke. No. I know. It's like an idiot wrote it. I'm sorry. Wendy the, Wendy never says like there's an in here. Like let me there's introduce you, you to these do characters. A lot of things. And honestly, does it I kind of like maybe that they don't use it cuz it is kind of silly anyway, but I'm like why do you name that person that if you're not going to do anything with it? Was something cut? Was it that bad that you were like, well, we got to get rid of that?" I don't know. Well, yeah, anyway. it, was a, it was just the fact that all of their names were Wendy, Audrey, Scotty. And it was like, all right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is a little excessive, but OK. Cute dog, though. Got to give a Very shout out dog. to Pete. Very cute Loved dog. watching Pete. Yeah, I had a good dog week. I was watching a lot of movies with dogs with really cute dogs. I watched Cruella and there's a dog in that called Wink. Um, love that Aww. dog. Love Wink. <laughs> Do anything seen, for Wink. Have you seen Cruella? Not yet, but I, mm-hmm. it was on my list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to have a good bad time with it. Well, that's we'll it. Report back when you that's it. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. Shall we move on? Please. All right. So the next film we're going to get into is Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, a number of films on this episode I had seen previously, and this obviously I did not see. Please, please stand by when that came out, but I did see Heart. Hearts Beat Loud when this film came out. Uh, this film was released in 2018. 
Uh, it's a very short and sweet film. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, it stars Nick Offerman and Kiersey Clemens as a father and daughter who are still grieving for the loss of their wife slash mother. And Nick Offerman's character, Frank, he owns a record shop in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and he is slowly having to give up his bar because his daughter, Sam, is going off to college. She's a pre-med student. And within the last, I would say, month or so of summer vacation before Sam has to go off to UCLA, they decide to start making music together. They always have these jam sessions and they decide to record a track. Um, the track is called Hearts Beat Loud and they release it. Frank releases it on Spotify and it gets pretty big. It gets a lot of acclaim. So it reignites this desire for Frank to be in a band, which he was in with his late wife. And it forms a bond between the father and the daughter. And obviously the questions arise, do we pursue this music? Frank is struck with the guilt of having to wonder, do I keep my daughter here and try to chase this dream that I have? Or do I let her go and chase her own dreams? And Sam wrestles with the idea of familiarity, of staying at home and spending time with her newfound girlfriend and her father. Or do I go off and do this very scary thing and kind of venture into the unknown? And gotta say, this movie holds up. I had that the music from the film stuck in my head for days again after watching it, which I think is a testament to how good the music actually is in this movie. And when you're making a film about music, the music has to be pretty good. So kudos to them. I think it's a, a very like short, sweet movie. Tony Collette plays the landlady who is kind of maybe becoming romantically entangled with Nick Offerman's character, Frank. And uh, yeah, pretty short, sweet, pretty close-knit cast, not a lot of stuff going on. There's one storyline that we can get into that I think is a little excessive. I don't think we necessarily need it, but we'll get into that later. Uh, overall, really enjoy this film. Burge, what are your thoughts on Hearts Beat Loud? I like Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, I saw it when it came out. Uh, it was high on my list because it was just a really, really good time. The music is very pop synthy, which I am into. Uh, I like Nick Offerman. Um, I like Tony Collette. So I'm into this movie. And yeah, I agree. It holds up. When I rewatched it, I was just like, yep, this is fun. This is a fun time. Um, I'm interested in what's the what's the part, what's the aspect of it that uh, you think that maybe we could do without? I think it makes sense that the, the Blythe Danner character, the grandmother slash mother, is kind of a problem character. She kind of gets into issues. Frank feels very responsible for her in some ways. Uh, like Danner's character, you know, she's like a born and bred New Yorker. Like she's never going to move. So it kind of means Frank can never move. Mm -hmm. So it kind of does anchor Frank to the Red Hook area or New York City in general. And so that kind of makes sense why he couldn't just like pick up and leave to go after Sam and maybe like go spend some time in California with her since it doesn't seem like he really has a lot of other ties. So if anything, she does ground his character where he needs to be. But I just think they don't use her frequently enough to really like tell me that she deserves to have a role in this movie. It's very fleeting. For some odd reason, I remembered her being in the film more 
the first time I watched it, but watching it the second time, she just feels like an afterthought to mm. me. And I wish they maybe would have gone maybe a little bit deeper into her character or maybe pulled out even more and just had maybe like one scene with mm-hmm. her being a troublemaker. Yeah. That was like really the weakest part of the film for me. And it's not even really that weak because I well, understand it's, its purpose. Too. Yeah, because yeah. you get to see her. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, exactly. I agree. Like, uh, yeah, I I totally get that. Like, if there was just like one big scene, great. And maybe more scenes, great. But like the amount that we have just kind of feels like unbalanced. And, you know, her character, just like everything else really does kind of. It's like the, the, the movie is all about like Frank's responsibility and responsibilities that he has to like his business, his children, his parent. Um, his friends, uh, his, not even just his business, but like employment and making money and stuff like that, his dreams and like what you need to do about what you need to do to follow your dreams and what you have to sacrifice responsibility wise and balancing all of that stuff. And I will say that just like in the first time that I watched this movie and Diana got very mad at me about bringing this up, I was just like, I was just like, why don't they, why doesn't she just go to college and they can just like send each other music over the internet the internet exists like they can do that if they want and that is ultimately what they end up doing and i'm like right like that do that and (laughs) and she's just like that's not the point and i'm like i know it's not the point like but i'm just like that was like the whole time i was just like like just please stand by i'm just like email it what are you doing why are we doing this like i get we want to watch a movie i'm not trying to say it would be a better movie if they were just like oh i guess we'll just email each other this stuff i understand that we need stuff to happen and for there to be conflict it's just like it's one of those things where i was just like i postal service just that's a great album just do that you guys will be fine it'll be great and they end up doing that and it is great yeah (laughs) that's a very good point it's weird i wonder if these people who had written these films and directed these films are of the same age where yeah the technology they're like let's not talk about technology no no no, we can't talk about that (laughs) Let's not give the easy fixes. I also do love um, uh, Bruises by Chairlift is like one of my favorite songs. I love that goddamn song and I forget about it all the time. And then it'll just like come on or I'll hear it. And I remember, I think the last time I probably tuned into that song was when I watched Hearts Beat Loud about four years ago. Because Tony Collette sings it at a karaoke. And I was just like, God damn it. Now I'm going to listen to this song constantly. Mm-hmm. And I have been. Yeah, the the movie is very funny. It's giving a lot of winks to that like hipster indie music culture that was really coming out. Well, I would say that was probably like in the 2010s, even earlier 2010s, late 2000s. But yeah, I really like that Nick Offerman is just like this lovable, sh- kind of schlubby because they're kind of like painting him as like the end of an era. But he's like music nerd 101 it's just a fun character for him to sink his teeth in into you know mm-hmm. he yeah he's a lot of fun to watch uh this is a shameless plug i did write an article about hearts beat loud and i talked about a couple of other films and it was called father daughter dance 2018 so if you'd like to hear more of my thoughts uh, on hearts beat loud which is interesting because that was more of like a first take and this is like a second take mm. a, a revisiting of that film in particular but yeah solid film kiersey clemens was really blowing up at the time and unfortunately it seems like she's kind of like taking like a, a sit down 
after mm-hmm. that era because for a while she was just popping up in everything and i hope to see her again soon because i haven't really seen her in anything as of late no um she's in dope uh from a couple years back i mean i think that yeah. was even before this honestly because mm-hmm. i feel like because I, I believe dope is um uh spider-man director isn't it oh isn't, okay isn't dope um no no i'm thinking of a different one Okay. I'm thinking of a different movie, but I know that Dope also has um, Grand Budapest in him. Yes. <laughs> Tony Ravioli. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kiersey Clemens was in this Netflix show that I kind of have, I kind of hate watched it. I don't think it's a solid show, but that show called Easy. Okay. I don't know if you watched any of Easy. It's, I did uh, not. It follows different groups of characters that sometimes intermix but each episode kind of follows like a different character and there are as i said like probably like six different groups and like aya cash is in it and we love aya cash here uh kiersey clemens is in it but easy really deals with a lot of the themes that wanderlust which we'll get into later in this podcast also covers like can your marriage be open is can you be ethically non-monogamous and how does that work? Mm-hmm. And Kiersey Clemens plays kind of a similar character to uh, her character in Hearts Beat Loud. And so Hearts Beat Loud felt like a more honest and true version of that character. But her character in Easy feels kind of like a sister or a cousin to this character, Sam, in Hearts Beat Loud. But yeah, this movie is weird. It's like fresh enough in my mind to like remember when I first watched it. And now watching it again. Um, yeah, I don't really know if I have anything else to say about it, but I like Good movie. it. One of, one, of my, one of my favorites that we've covered. I like Hearts Beat Loud. I think it's a, I think it's a solid yeah. little movie. Oh, and I guess I'll say that uh, to close, my last thought is that I like seeing Toni Collette kind of just play a lady. And I yeah. feel like she's just a, a lady in this, which is kind of a nice departure from like the heavily characterized characters she typically plays gets asked to play mm-hmm. um she just kind of kind of gets to be like normal in this yeah. one which which is nice totally it's kind of like when we were doing uh united states of tara like when she's not one of her split personalities and she's just tara even though tara is in and of herself a character and there are characterizations to her it did feel like this is like really normal this is like a normal person remove removing everything else that's around them just like the performance is like normal so that like so she can start kind of like at a one so that when she goes to like an eight there's even that much more of a difference right yeah agreed uh all right so next up uh very quickly we're gonna stop in arcade fireland um where uh there's like a 60 minute uh short uh music video it's like two songs called money and love money plus love money plus sign love um, and Tony Collette, uh, plays apparently herself, uh, cause she's credited as Tony Collette on the IMDB. Um, it is, uh, again, two music videos kind of put together into like a short film. Uh, it is directed by David Wilson, who is a big music video, uh, director, does stuff for Arctic Monkeys, Lady Gaga, Tame Impala, you know, cool people. Mm-hmm. Um, and more or less, it is just, uh, you know, 2018, it's Arcade Fire when they're coming out with that album. Uh, and it's, uh, it's two good songs. 
And Arcade Fire is a good band. Uh, there's a lot of members in it, and um, some of them are in the music video. And uh, yeah, Tony Collette plays uh, an alternate reality version of herself, I guess, because she has the same name. Uh, but she like runs a big, like big evil corporation. That like yeah. makes cereal and stuff, and they're gonna make Arcade Fire sell out, which is interesting because I've never like heard a band like kind of exploring that idea before in like a music video or like series or anything. Um, it's very unique. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much just like uh, you get you get like at, like shades of like like a 1984 and stuff in there, and you know like commercialization and you know. Like uh, the evils of self-promotion and marketing and money. Um, and the songs are really good. And it was fun to watch. Uh, didn't feel like 16 minutes, but I think that's because like five minutes of that is credits. Because <laughs> yeah. the credits are very slow. And you're like, the credits are like a third of this. It should be called money plus love plus credits. Right, right. Yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> um, yeah, did you have anything to say about money plus love? Um, yeah, I, I think it kind of gives like some like Blade Runner vibes as well sure. with the way they're advertising. Um, to be honest, it kind of put me in mind of the the Nowhere In, which I know you really loved from last year. Mm -hmm. I got like some Nowhere In vibes with the way they were showing like how this band acts when they're on camera and how they act when they're not on camera. Well, not on camera. I should put in quotes because they're always on camera <laughs> for this video. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I thought the Tony Collette stuff was fun. It was a fun thing that they thought, like, let's include her on this because yeah. they must have been pretty big fans because she doesn't have, like, a super large role. No, but, but she shows up and she watch. works. Yeah, she works. Yeah. I, I will say I, I'm a huge fan of the song Anna by Will Butler, who is the lead singer of uh, Arcade Fire. And that music video for Anna features Emma Stone and she's like on a boat and she's dancing with all of these like Navy guys. And Anna is a great music video, and, but it heavily features Emma Stone. Like Emma Stone is the star of the show. So I guess when I heard like, oh, Arcade Fire short music video, Tony Collette, I was kind of hoping she was going to be the star of the show and she wasn't. Mm. So only because of that, I found it a little lackluster because I was like, oh, man, they're giving her the Emma Stone treatment in this. But they didn't. Mm. But yeah, very enjoyable. Uh, everything now. Great album. Uh, great songs. Very easy to watch. Obviously, I, I like that album a lot. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then also, so a little stop in there, but then the next movie that we're talking about, um, ironically, is not an easy watch. Uh, it's called Birthmarked, and it came out in 2018. Uh, it was directed by Emmanuel Hostas Marias, um, who you may know from, I don't know. <laughs> He's also an actor. He was in The Day After Tomorrow, whatever. Um, he... Uh, it is uh it is a movie it's a movie it is a movie um it is an hour and 30 minutes long Mwah, mama mia thank you uh and it is about um it's got matthew good in it um pulling off his best michael sheen impersonation do, doing some pretty hardcore michael sheen stuff which credit to him you know the good in michael good is for good actor because he is one <laughs> um 
And my, uh, Matthew Good, Tony Collette play um, two scientists who uh, fall in love and get married and then um, decide to do a nurture versus nature experiment utilizing um, a biological child that they are um, about to have while also adopting two other kids and trying to the nurture versus nature thing of um, you know, one of the kids comes from like a family of like really mean people. So they're going to teach him to be super passive and uh, very nice and kind Gandhi kind of thing, meditating, peaceful. Um, the other adopted uh, one is a girl who they comes from a family of idiots, I guess. <laughs> they were like, oh, they have very low IQ, so they're going to make her extremely smart. And then their biological um, son, who obviously comes from a long line of scientists, they're going to make him an artist. And they live out in this cabin in the middle of nowhere um, with uh, an amazing, amazing, amazing man named um, named uh, Samsonov, who's great. And he's my best friend. And I like him a lot. Um, and he's kind of like a caretaker for the kids as well. Um, kind of like a nanny, like a live-in nanny. And uh, that's it. That's what the movie's about. Uh, we kind of catch up with them about uh, 12 years later, uh, towards the end of the uh, experiment and trying to figure things out. And Michael Smiley, who we've covered before on the Colette stuff, uh, plays um, kind of the... Uh, I guess the word like he's the backer for the experiment. Like he's he's kind of like uh, he's supplying them with money and paying for everything that they need for this past like twelve plus years that they've been doing this. Uh, and he wants results, and so they gotta get results because it's not really working out. Um, that's the movie. Uh, that's the movie. I didn't like it. I don't think it's well made. I don't think it's funny. Um, I think all the acting in it is actually very good because you've got people like Matthew Good and Michael Smiley and Tony Collette. Um, and I think the kid actors are also very good at what they're doing, but like the kids are actually just not given a whole lot to do. They kind of just become caricatures of like, well, he's supposed to be nice, but he's not. And you're like, okay, great. Are you going to do that again? You are. You're doing it again. Okay, great. And then at the end, they're like, but actually he turned out to be nice. And I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Cool. It's not a bad, it's like, I, I didn't like it. I don't think it's well made. I don't think it's necessarily a bad movie. Like, I don't think it, I don't think it breaks any laws that should put it in prison, but I think it's, I think it's just, uh, it was just, um, not that fun to watch. I found myself kind of bored while watching it, which does not often happen. But I think that also might be a mixture of, me being very tired recently and watching it. Um, it was nice to just watch pretty much a straight up kind of plucky comedy, um, which we don't really get a whole lot of that often, even though there is kind of like a a shade of darkness to this, you know, with like what they're doing and experimentation and stuff. And there's actually a couple scenes that were very intense. Uh, there's There's a scene with a mouse um that was uh very intense that i did not see coming because the movie kind of keeps taking these turns uh as to like how um radical some moments can be what what what'd you what did you think of birthmarked yeah i kind of agree with everything that you have already said i do think the film doesn't quite know exactly what its main message wants to be um 
Because, yeah, it it seemed like these kids were going to end up a lot more messed up than what they eventually ended up being. And I just don't think that's how that would play out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think those kids would be way more messed up um, based on their upbringing and how they've been raised. Um, I think that the concept is interesting enough, but I just don't think the movie really cares to really explore any one avenue. I think they're kind of a little all over the place. Mm. Um, I do think the kids did a fine job. I think the parents did a fine job. I always like watching Michael Smiley, so that was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I somewhat liked the overlay of like the little factoids that they would give you about certain characters. That was kind of fun. Very kind also- of like Wes Anderson-y. Yes, because I was going to say mm-hmm. it's Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, this movie is Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, yes yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's very, you can tell that this guy wanted to make a Wes Anderson kind of movie, but I don't think quite gets the, like the, you have the narration and stuff by um, um, the the phenomenal um, Fiona, Fiona uh, Flanagan, who, uh, yeah. who uh, is great on Lost. Um she like just has like these very as a matter of facts kind of like like you said factoids and stuff that keep coming up and then you see somebody do something and then they like pose like they almost practically pose just like Wes Anderson like from sometimes and they're dressed in like quirky (laughs) puffy jackets and like you know color contrasting like hats and jackets and walls and stuff and it's very you know, there, there's just a lot of Wes Anderson isms in it, but I don't think that kind of matches with the dark tone that it has sometimes, and I, that's why I kind of feel I, I feel like it's just a little unbalanced. Yeah, I completely agree. I also watch uh, that NBC show, This Is Us, a minute for the long haul. Okay, it's in its last season, but again, that also features a, a group of essentially triplets and. It's a like a Caucasian male, a Caucasian female, and an adopted black male. And yeah, it's kind of like, how do you treat these kids like all equally? How do you make sure they're each getting love and attention the way they need to be? Um, So I was also getting like, this is us vibes from watching this because it did break my heart. I think the thing that would really mess them up the most is when Tony Collette's character, the mom, would try to get the attention of all three of them by saying Luke her biological child first. She would say, Luke, guys, come here. And the kids even say, like, why is it always Luke and the other two? Mm-hmm. And then later on, it's like, oh, never mind. We're not going to get into that. And mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. that's the most interesting part of the movie. Um, So, yeah, I feel like, granted, sometimes you'll say, you know, this could have been a miniseries and they probably could have gotten deeper into certain things that I wanted them to elaborate on. But... If this was any longer, actually, than what it was, I would have no interest in watching it, you know? Like, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> like, there's no reason for me to care enough about these characters to to want to watch a miniseries of this. Because, um, yeah, I, I do. I think it's a little jumbled. But, yeah, as you said, doesn't belong in movie jail. Like, it's no. not terrible, terrible. No. And, again, the biggest thing is that it's an hour and a half, so it doesn't overstay its welcome I'm in and I'm out. It's fine. So, you know, if this movie had been the exact same quality that it was, the exact same quality that it was, but it had another 30 minutes of even something that might be slightly interesting, I would probably hold it against it more. But it's not, and I don't. So birthmarked. Birthmarked. Checked off the list. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, so the the next project we're going to get into then uh, is something that I really enjoyed. I watched it when it came back out in 2018. Uh, it was in and out. I feel like Netflix is terrible at advertising its lesser known projects or even really any projects. Netflix is so like overrun with content now that it's like they'll advertise something heavily. You'll hear about it for like a couple weeks and then if you don't watch it just then, maybe you'll forget about it. And I feel like Wanderlust is probably one of those things that came out. And people who were kind of tracking Tony Collette, like myself, uh, probably caught it because they were like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'll watch like a six episode Tony Collette thing. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed going back to it. This is a show called Wanderlust. It is made in uh, connection with the BBC, but it's a Netflix original. It is about Tony Collette and Stephen McIntosh. They play a couple, uh, Joy and Alan. And Alan is a school teacher. Joy is a therapist. She's a psychoanalyst. And uh, she gets into a terrible bike accident, which is connected to a patient of hers that had committed suicide. So the bike accident kind of digs up all of these old feelings. What are old feelings? Still lingering feelings about her responsibility towards her patient who had committed suicide. But then it goes even further back in Joy's life to when she was young and lost her mother and her relationship with men and why she pursues relationships with men, especially sexual relationships. But it's mostly about Joy and Alan deciding to, in order to save their marriage, they, they understand that sex is the problem between the two of them. Uh, they don't seem to have a sexual connection anymore. And in order to fulfill their needs but still stay together because they very much love each other, they decide to agree to sleep with other people uh, ethically, non-monogamously, uh, and make sure that everyone's kind of in on it. They want to make sure that the partners that they're seeing are aware so that no one's feeling like the blindfolds over their eyes. Um, but yeah, it, it's got a pretty tight cast uh it follows also the romantic entanglements of Joy and Alan's three children and their various group of neighbors and friends. But it also features Zawe Ashton, who we'll talk about later in Velvet Buzzsaw as well. She plays Alan's uh, co-worker, who he begins to fall in love with because she is the one that he chooses to have the extramarital affair with. Um, overall... I really like this. I think the penultimate episode, episode five, like the in-treatment episode is really, really good. Yeah. And you get to see Tony Collette really acting her ass off in in that one episode. But I think overall, I really enjoy this series and it does what it needs to do and it gets out. And I think it's a pretty concise way to tell a story. What did you think of Wanderlust. Wanderlust fucks. It's great. <laughs> it's a really, really good show. It's a, an amazing. My joke on Letterboxd was all pun intended. It's the perfect length. It's like absolutely uh, all of the characters in it. Like I there's something about and I'm trying to come up with like I want to like if there is a word for it or something. But the uh, Naomi, the daughter character, the um, I guess she's the oldest. No, the other I think she's the middle. She's the middle. Um, I want a whole show just about her. And I feel like they really hold back on the Naomi uh, plotline because she has a relatively simple one, but it's so sweet and so amazing. And she gets some really great moments. And I kind of like that they leave me wanting more with her character. Um, 
And I feel like that there's something special, very special about all the characters in Wanderlust that um, they're friends. It, it really is kind of like a United States of Terror thing again, where it's like, even though it's only six episodes, like when you're in a show with characters, you get to know them. And if they're really cool people, like they become your goddamn friends, you know, and it's like. When I saw John Corbett in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, I was like, my friend, you're back. How are you doing? <laughs> Even though you're not really the same, but like you kind of are. I get it. Let's do it. Um, also, Stephen McIntosh, you know, all due respect, the poor man's uh, Paul Bettany. He's fucking great. Aww. He is. He is, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's OK, because at one point, Paul Bettany was the poor man, Stephen McIntosh. They have flipped. They flipped a little bit. Um, I think he's super... Uh, great. I think the chemistry between all the characters in this thing, especially um, Stephen McIntosh and Tony Collette, is, uh, is so good because you can really buy that these people have been through a relationship that has changed, but they're also very good friends, and that's what some—that's what everything needs to be like in relationship. Like that is like a very big core thing, as sex is, and that's these these are the different things that the show's talking about. Like we just we just did a screening, me and you, of uh, Before Midnight. We did the whole Before trilogy, and I was talking to Diana after the screening because she was there, and she was like, we were talking about just like it's so amazing watching them so close together and being like, they're friends, like they're friends, like they can just talk to each other and be honest with one another, and it's like as soon as they stop being honest and they have like those they get those like barriers up to try and push each other away, that's when shit starts falling apart. Like they don't really have an open communication. Which is ironic because the whole movie is just them talking, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And I feel like Wanderlust and all the different relationships that it's dealing with and kind of moving in and out of all these different, you know, because it's the whole family and, you know, the the teenage son trying to, like, lose his virginity or, like, fall in love with the hot girl at school uh, who is um, played by uh, Anya... Chalatra, who is from The Witcher, as is uh, Royce Pearson, who plays Jason from The Witcher. Uh, it was very funny seeing two people from The Witcher uh, pop up. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, the fantastic Jeremy Swift uh, of um, Ted Lasso fame popping yes. in and having one of the most... One of the hardest, like, it, it, I'll, I'll turn it back to you. Sorry, because like, I, I really like the, I really like the show. I think it's really good. Jeremy Swift has a line at the end of the first episode where uh, his wife has uh, left him, or they're in the middle of a separation, and he he says something to the effect of, "He's like, I didn't know how it would feel. It just, it, it's, it's sadness, but more pure." And it's like that is real shit. Like, not to be. Aha, uh -huh, wow, that hit me. And like, oh, that ain't that true though. Like, that's poetry. It rhymes. But it's like, that is kind of like the pureness of that specific type of sadness of heartbreak is just like so good. And the way that that line is delivered, the situation, how the actor says it, how the actor that they're saying it to responds, like everything about it is just like, oof, right, that's real. And I feel like that's what this movie does a lot. Um, it also has amazing needle drops. There's fantastic fantastic music in this thing oh yeah yeah i i kind of forgot it was higgins until like towards the end of the episode and i was like yeah. oh yeah without the glasses right, it's right. him mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i kind of forgot about it uh yeah i think i agree with you i think the music is great 
I think it's very aware of how hip it is, while also hearkening back to giving these characters grace in their age. I don't think it tries to, like, de-age these characters. These characters are very much the ages that they are, but they do exist in a modern world. I think that's a good a representation of how to show older people living in the modern world now that's kind of changed around them and around their children. Um, I think a lot of shows or films, when they have, like, the older parent characters and then the children are pretty much adults themselves – I feel like shows tend to be like, well, aren't these old people kind of out of touch? Like, don't these people just not know what's going on anymore? But I feel like this show doesn't do that. It shows like very real characters who are living in the society and culture that has aged around them. So I think they do a good job of, you know, showing the flashbacks of where they were in like the 80s uh, when they were younger and meeting for the first time. Um yeah, I think it's a very well done show. And I do love, as I said, that last second to last episode where Joy is talking to her therapist mm-hmm. and trying to have a breakthrough. It's uh, Sophie Okonedo oh, yeah. plays great. Her, her therapist. And mm-hmm. gosh, I welcome her on screen. Whenever she's on screen, I'm like, yes, thank you. Please, yeah. more. <laughs> and that episode, it's like a bottle episode that all takes place in that room. And having Okonedo and Tony Collette just... It, it's just two professionals doing their fucking thing. And it's almost like it's like watching like two professional fencers just like ting, 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 just keep going and going. And it's shot so extremely well. Um, the uh, I wanted to pull up the because um, the, it was directed by two people. The first three episodes uh, were directed by Luke Snellen uh, and the last three, which I think are. I think the whole show is good, but I think the last three episodes are directed marvelously. I think they're insanely directed. And that is by a director named, um, and I hope I can get this right, Lucy Cherniak. Um, and she has not done all that much else. She directed, she directs a lot of TV. She just did the recent Station Eleven, which I haven't checked out. She did some episodes of The End of the Fucking World, um, okay. as well as like some stuff called like Chambers. Uh, I, I, I want to check out pretty much everything that this person has done, because I think the way that how she how she's able to stylize like camera movement and everything is so awesome. Like it's everything. It's pretty much, you know, it's the fifth episode we're talking about. It's the last episode. And it's also my favorite episode of the of the show, which is the um like the 80s dance that they go to. I think that that is a fucking piece of television i because at that point it's like you've gotten to know like dylan edwards and like uh like the other dude that tony collette is kind of falling for or or like uh, not falling for but like um uh inter- having a good time with. having a good time interacting with in the ways of the show um and like they're all going out on like this kind of double date kind of thing like it's just uh it's very cool and they're fighting back against the man I love that stuff. Um, I am also obsessed with um, Isis Hainsworth, who plays Michelle. Um, she is a little cutie pie and is extremely <laughs> good at acting. And yeah. I want to see her in more things. Apparently, she was in Emma, the 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 Autumn to Wild Emma from a couple years ago. Uh, I don't recall her. She plays Elizabeth Martin, which if I am remembering in Emma, that's the 
like the daughter of the poor farmer or something that likes okay. the do the suitor, if I'm remembering right, which is a smaller part that doesn't have a whole lot of scenes. Uh, she's also in a short series that I want to watch called The Diary of My Broken Vagina, um, which sounds <laughs> fucking great. So yeah. just, just from that. So I want to check that out. And um, looks like she's got some Netflix stuff coming up. She's still very young um, and kind of just getting started as far as like big parts. So uh, I want more from her as well. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that'll probably give me the good push to get back into Station Eleven because I've seen the first two episodes mm. and then kind of fell off just because there were other things I There's you know, a lot of TV needed to right watch. Now. Yeah. Like Oscar stuff, best of film lists, whatever. Um so yeah, that gives me the push. Uh, obviously, I fell off Station Eleven because it wasn't speaking to me the way it should. But I I do kind of like that insight now, so that'll be a good like way to get back into it. Because mm. yeah, I if anything, I think Station Eleven was very well directed, and I, I enjoy that. It's just some of the the plot and the characters, sure, sure, which sure, 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 weren't speaking to me at the moment. But yeah, I uh, I'm glad that Wanderlust, you know, was on this list. I was happy to revisit it. Yeah, I. I think it was a good time. It was a good time again. It's one of those special entries. I kn- I had known because, you know, we have our big gigantic um, spreadsheet of like what's coming up, what's on each episode, the order it was released. Is it a TV series? Blah, blah, blah. What year did it come out? Where's it available? And you also put down if you've seen it before. So I'd seen that you had seen Wanderlust. Um, I was very happy that it was only six episodes. I think, again, perfect length. I don't like as much as I love these characters. I honestly am like, no more. That's it. Thank you. That's good. Uh, it's got a killer ending, a killer fucking ending. God, the last, the last 30 seconds of that goddamn show are just fucking, you're just like, yes, Ah, I didn't even know that I wanted this. Sorry. I'm screaming like directly into the mic. I should have backed up a bit. Yeah, that that's a great point. Yeah, we won't spoil it for you listeners, but yeah, mm. the ending is very good. Yeah, it's that's Wanderlust is probably in like the top five of her entire filmography that is not maybe more widely known, like not like your Muriel's Weddings or your Sixth Sense or your Hereditaries, but Wanderlust would be in the top five of I would recommend seeking that out and sitting down with it because I think it's some of the best stuff that she's done. Uh, I think she's very good in it, but I think it's also one of the best projects she's been a part of. I think it's super special. Definitely. Well, yeah, let's uh, mosey right on along into our next entry then. Of course. Uh, Once again, we are going to take a little stop in uh, Shortland, and we're going to talk about, um, in my opinion, an extremely meaningless piece of art. (laughs) Uh, from Justin Peck, who I love because he choreographed the new West Side Story, and that is hard to do, and it looks fucking great and good for you. Uh, Justin Peck, back in 2018, um, seemingly for no reason, made a uh, collection of short films for New York Times Magazine, um, which I guess would be more for like their website because you can't put short films in a magazine. Um, so it would be for their digital <laughs> magazine, perhaps. Um, right. And he pretty much got a bunch of people who um, were in... This makes it even harder to talk about what we'll talk about at the end of this episode. Uh, I guess that these are Oscar hopefuls, people who were in the conversation, because not everybody was nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you know, you've got um, Yelitsa 
Aparicio from who at that point was uh, blowing shit up from Roma. Yeah. Glenn Close, Tony Collette, Ethan Hawke, Julia Roberts, Yoain, uh, Elsie Fisher from then that was like the eighth grade year. Uh, Regina mm-hmm. Hall, uh, Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Vise, because you know what that was. And look, and again, like Lakeith Stanfield and Tony Collette, which I mentioned, which is why we're here. Each of the videos is black and white. I think they're all black and white. Sometimes they use color. I can't fucking remember. Um, they're each a minute. I didn't watch them all, so. I, I watched them all because you had told me, you're like, oh, I watched a couple of Good them. For I was you. like, for only a minute. I had to watch the same 30 second, like, Urban Outfitters commercial every time I wanted to watch one of these things. So I got that. Uh, they're all okay. They're just kind of like, they're not re- some of them some of them are just like not doing anything which is like the worst form of like art dance they like you're not doing anything you're not expressing anything um or what you're doing is just so blatantly on the nose you know there's Ethan Hawks is like he like rips like a table sheet off of like a fancy dinner and swings it around himself for a while and it's like that's nice okay um uh, that's it though yeah and Lakeith Stanfield is actually really good he's like um, he's in one called Lunch Break and he's like a, a like a like a building construction worker like up on a pillar apparently up in the sky or whatever and he like has to like walk across the beam to get to his lunch box that one's nice uh, the Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz one is very nice uh, because they're great and Emma Stone is a professional and she goes full, <laughs> she goes full drama kid in that one. Uh, <laughs> Regina Halls is probably my favorite one. She's just kind of tossing around in bed uh, and that's kind of the dance, um, which I can connect with. Uh <laughs> And yeah, I mean, all the other ones are all right. Glenn Close's is really weird because not sure if you've heard of this. Glenn Close, really weird person, very weird human being. She is strange. Um, uh, Tony Collette is not that great. It's kind of oddly playing off of the hereditary thing. And it's uh, she's in a segment called Scared Woman, the Scared it's Woman. It's called Heebie-Jeebies. Oh, the Heebie-Jeebies. She plays Scared Woman. Yes. Um and she's just uh, running around some creepy stuff, and they're like, <laughs> and she like starts to freak out and shake and do the thing that she does, and and then that's it. Uh, I wish that it was a little bit more dancey. Um, I get what they're going for, um, but what'd you think of it? Yeah, it's funny. It is kind of like a good marriage between Hereditary and Velvet Buzzsaw, kind of, because there's kind of a scene in Velvet Buzzsaw where someone's kind of in like a room type atmosphere Mm -hmm. and they're walking around. And of course, there's like a creepy baby doll and the baby doll kind of follows them with the eyes. And Mm. yeah, I I thought this was fine. I thought we were going to get a lot more out of these. I that's um, I think that's why I was a little let down. And again, I had to watch yeah. this fucking Urban Outfitters thing like 10 times. So I'm just kind of like holding it against it like that too, which isn't fair, but ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I always I don't know how this always happens. I'm I'm sure you probably encounter this too when you see a cool article and then you see like that New York Times thing attached to it. You're like 
doing the mental math in your head, like, how many New York Times articles have I read this month? Is this one worth clicking on? Because I only have, like, one more free article from New York Times that I can read this month. Hmm. And so I was afraid clicking on these videos. I'm like, am I just burning up all of my free New York Times yeah. <laughs> articles? So I told you, I was like, well, I've watched three of them. I watched the Tony Collette one, the Ethan Hawke one, and then the the favorite episode with Olivia Coleman and mm -hmm. Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss. I was like, all right, I think these are my three that I'm going to watch. So I didn't watch any more. I was, uh, I'll probably watch them now, I guess. <laughs> I'm kind of curious now, kind of. But overall, yeah, they're a little repetitive. They're fun to watch for the actor's sake, but I don't think they're saying anything particularly special. I mean, they're probably, and this is going to seem really silly because it's kind of the entire, the point to them is, I think, the pointlessness. Um, but uh, it's kind of like a perfect example, like a really, you could just show, shine a light on this and like, or like a, like with a big long stick and like, kind of like tap it on the board and be like style over substance. Not this is it. Which is not a problem. Like, it's fine. But it's just uh, when you only have one minute to be able to do it, I feel like with these talented, all these different varying talented actors and Justin Peck, who we know is a talented choreographer, I just don't think there's just nothing there to grab onto for me. And I was upset about that because as soon as I saw that Justin Peck made – because this has been on our list for you know a year and a half ever since we developed this. And I knew it was coming up. I had saved all of the links to the thing like a, few, like a couple months before we had recorded the last episode because I always think a couple months ahead to make sure we can track things down and stuff, which still working on James Gang, guys. I'll get it. Don't worry. We must get it. It's the only one. Um, I know. It's the white whale. And uh, – when I found out it was Justin Peck and I'm like on a huge West Side Story high right now, like it was my second favorite movie of the year. I have the date that it's coming to Disney Plus marked down on my phone. Um, it's next when Wednesday. Is... Oh, I can't wait. Perfect. It's like it's March 2nd, I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm I, I want to watch that movie again so fucking bad, like so fucking bad. I wanted to watch it again before making my list to see is it really holding up and I just couldn't get out to go see it again because uh, the only theater in the area that was playing it was the Galleria and I've, I've resolved to never go to the Galleria again after my bad experience with Licorice Pizza there this award season which I blame the Galleria for Licorice Pizza not affecting me as much as it did a lot of other people and that sucks because that's not the intention of the thousands of people that made that movie but there it is that, that does suck. I will say I saw Licorice Pizza at the AMC in Middletown, mm. and it also didn't affect me the way that mm. I thought it would mm -hmm. affect me. And I didn't have a blurry screen or anything like that. So yeah. the the film was in focus. So, But I will totally let you continue to blame the Galleria for yeah. that. Mm -hmm. I, I want to because I want to I, – I, everyone is so good in that, and it really is yeah. a movie that's up my alley 100%. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where uh, with a, like same thing with like I still haven't seen Inherent Vice, uh, oh, yes, and yes, I yes. really want to because I love noir and I love that shit and I I like Joaquin Phoenix as an actor, um, and I still want to watch it. It's just like I never watched it because I saw the trailers and I was like that movie looks like dog shit. I don't yeah. want to see that movie, but I've heard it's really good, uh, especially now that there's like a few years removed from it. I think it's kind of 
quickly being reclaimed as like this kind of undersung uh, piece of his filmography of PTAs. Uh, so I need to watch yeah, that. Yeah, I love Inherent Bias. Yeah, I want to watch it very, yeah, very badly. I've heard good things from people I respect and share most opinions with on stuff like that. So I'm like, I'll probably dig it. Um, I should have saw it before Licorice Pizza so I could like complete everything. But yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do everything. You can't um, see everything. Uh, but yeah, these uh, shorts are whatever. They exist and you can check them out. Uh, the Regina Hall one's very good. Cool. Um, moving on to the yes. actual film. Uh, this is the last movie we'll talk about before breaking into the main headliner. Um, so this is her. This is Tony Collette's most recent picture. Uh, 2019's Velvet Buzzsaw. Written and directed by Dan Gilroy, his follow-up to Nightcrawler, which also stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Russo, and makes their appearance in this movie weird for me, at <laughs> least. I, I will first admit that uh, I have not seen Nightcrawler yet. Great movie. Although I still want to. Great but movie. But continue. Great movie. Uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. Um, I had seen this one before. I had been holding off on watching it because I didn't watch it when it came out and I was very excited about it and it just got away from me. Um, it got very middling reviews almost immediately. It was one of the first big, everybody wanted to see what Dan Gilroy was going to do next. And then all of a sudden it's like, he's releasing a movie on Netflix. And that was like an earlier iteration of that where it was like, wait, what? You're, he's going to release it on Netflix. And you're like, right. It's not going to theaters. And you're like, the dude that made Nightcrawler's next movie is just going to go directly to Netflix. And it kind of scared me away from it. Um, but Velvet Buzzsaw is, um, uh, I, I think it's a satire. I can't tell. I can't tell. I actually. Oh, is it? Satire. Is it? Oh, okay. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell. I was trying to see the vibe. You the, couldn't I couldn't tell. You couldn't um, tell from all the satire on the screen. I couldn't if it's satire I, or not. I, well, I was like, maybe it's so satire <laughs> that it's not satire. Mm. Uh, it is a um, yep. Yeah, it's it's a satire of uh, the contemporary art world, um, creating art, criticizing art. Um, uh, it takes place in Los Angeles and follows a collection of different people involved in the art world in, at different levels and for different reasons. Um, uh, and that's it. That's all the movie's about. Uh, there's nothing else that happens, and you just do that. Um, oh, wait. Uh, there is uh, a guy, an older guy, dies, and he has a bunch of paintings in his room that he's painted over the course of many, many years. Uh, he has uh, what we discover to be a pretty violent history and a history of mental illness. Um, and, uh, the paintings are spooky and haunted and they begin to come alive and infect other art around them. And that art starts to take people off one by one. It's a horror movie. Uh, and that's, that's the movie. That's what it's about. And I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I like it a lot. I just wish that it went a little bit harder on some of the satire stuff uh, of what it was. I think that everything that it's saying and doing is really smart and a good idea. And it all works together very well. Um, and I just wish that some of the satire was maybe either a little less blatant or more intense, kind of the same thing that we were talking about earlier 
um, with the, the presence of the, the, the grandmother character in um, uh, Hearts Beat Loud, Blake Donner. It's like, yeah. it's like, I feel like sometimes tonally it's off a little bit. Like I was talking to my buddy Brian about it last night. Cause we talked on the phone, like right as I started it and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm starting velvet <laughs> I'm buzzsaw. Yeah. I'm starting velvet buzzsaw. Ended up talking to my buddy Brian for like two hours. He's getting married in June. So we're talking about a bunch of stuff and we agreed. We we're just like the robot thing, the hobo man at the beginning. That's it. That's perfect. That is, that's exactly the level of satire you need. It's so over the top yet. So cool and memorable that it makes sense. Do more of that. And everything else, I think the only thing that comes closest to that would be something like um, the monkeys in the picture at the abandoned garage, at the at the abandoned gas station, where it's like even that level of art is being infected by this new kind of contemporary sensibility. Like that's kind of what the movie's talking about is like art sensibilities changing based on what people are saying about them because they're respected even though they do disrespectable and irresponsible things as these either creators or critics and how that can start to infect all art around it and it just starts kind of tearing everything apart um and i i watched velvet buzzsaw last october um even though i knew that it was coming up but it was just something we tossed on and I didn't even think about it. And then it was, oh, Tony Collette's in this. Oh, I'm going to be watching this again in a couple months. But we finished it and I liked it just fine. And I watched it this time and I think I liked it a little bit better the second time, uh, knowing where things are going to go and knowing the kind of the kind of anti-ending that it has. Um, knowing that that's where it was going, I think kind of made certain points of the movie more interesting and maybe just as entertaining. Like it didn't lose any entertainment value on a second rewatch. You know what I mean? Like knowing where it was going, I was still interested. Um, what do you, what do you think of Velvet Buzzsaw? Yeah. I, when I saw the trailer for this, I was very excited for the film because it seemed really goofy, but also beautiful and stylish and actually scary in the trailer. The trailer does such a good job of misrepresenting what the film actually is. Oh yeah. And I think that's done on purpose. It has to be. I think it's done on purpose, assume. but I think it's also a reason that the movie got a little bit of a backlash. Yes. Yeah. Because I was telling, because I was watching it and Heath was like, man, this movie, because he was just looking it up on his phone. He was like, this movie didn't get great reviews. And, you know, I told him, I said, and this was even while I was watching it. And I was like, well, I don't think it is what people thought it was going to be. And I think that probably turned a lot of people off from what it actually ended up being. Um. But for what it's worth, like what the film actually is, I really like it. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it because of the characters. Like Jake Gyllenhaal is so funny He's in this funny. movie. Mm -hmm. I really loved that character of Morph. Um, I, I do wish they would have leaned maybe a little bit more into the creepy old artist who passed away. Um, but I mean, I don't really know exactly where they could have gone with that. I think all of the, the information that you're given throughout the film is all given to you at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. um, you're finding things out about his art, and then you're finding out that these characters who are in and out of the art world are becoming more and more vicious regarding this art. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And to a certain extent, I was glad that it wasn't, like, actually scary, because this movie is not scary at all. <laughs> I was expecting it to be, like, way more intense when it came to the actual images we would see. But the scares are actually pretty hokey and silly. 
Um, especially the way that Zawe Ashton uh, from Wanderlust, the way her character dies is pretty unreal. It, it kind of gave me uh, the witches vibes where I don't know if you remember in the witches, there's that story about the girl in the painting mm-hmm. and it's about a girl who was trapped in a painting mm-hmm. and that's the vibe it gave me. And I like those vibes uh, into that type of storytelling because that is scary. It's kind of otherworldly in a way that, you don't exist in this world anymore and you're put into art. I think that's just really funny and especially funny for this film. Um, overall, really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a ridiculous movie and I feel bad for it that it got the reviews that it got. But I did several times while watching it. I was like, man, this would be a completely different movie if it was made now with NFTs in the mix. Like how just like ridiculously insane they could have gotten with the concept of NFTs because that's really shaken up the art world in the past few months. Um, but yeah, overall, dug it. It was not nearly as stylish as the trailer had uh, purported it to be. Mm-hmm. I just wished it was a little bit more stylish because mm-hmm. it was a pretty straightforward film, even though what you were looking at was very nice to look at because it's a lot of art and white and it's a very like sparse and clean film which i really enjoyed but yeah the movie lacked the style that the trailer gave it but that's really like my one critique Mm -hmm. yeah i should uh, i agree with all that too it's uh i should i I want to uh correct something i said because i did say that it was his follow-up to nightcrawler but i always forget about the existence of this movie which sucks because i really like it but i also feel like there's a curse on this movie that makes Everybody forget about it. Is Roman J. Israel Esquire, the Denzel Washington film. That was his follow-up to um, uh, Nightcrawler that was in between these two. And I just feel like I saw Roman J. Israel Esquire. I have one of my greatest experiences ever watching that movie because it came out in 2017. This was before we had the Story Screen Beacon Theater. So I went and watched it at the Regal and Fishkill, and I was in a big theater all by myself because it was like opening weekend, but it was like 11.30 a.m., so no one was checking this movie out, and it was great because I just got to watch this movie all by myself. It was very, very cool. Uh, that's a great movie. Everyone should watch it. It's very good. And Dan Gilroy, I'm looking up to, he also has uh, his next movie that's coming up. It has a great name. It's called Faster, Cheaper, Better, and it stars Harry Styles, um, who yes, is please. a young entrepreneur and union foreman. Um, or no, no, no. These are all multiple people. Okay. So there's a group of people are affected by automation and AI uh, transforming business and the world. So we'll see who Harry Styles plays in that, but that will be fun. Um, no, I like Dan Gilroy. I think he's a great writer. I think he's a very good director. Um, and, it's just one of those things where it's like Nightcrawler is so goddamn good, dude. Like you're going to fucking love Nightcrawler. Like that's where um, uh, that's really where Riz Ahmed kind of like launched from. Like that was like kind For of sure. he was in a lot of stuff before that, that kind of came in and came out. That was where everyone was like, uh, who's that guy? Who's that guy? And that's also also the year Jake Gyllenhaal had like a very intense um, award season run. Um like justifiably because he's amazing in Nightcrawler. That was kind of the beginning of his transformation into uh, a serious actor. Yeah. Like kind of just changing where he was coming from and what he was doing 
Um, it was funny watching Velvet Buzzsaw yesterday, last night, watching Jake Gyllenhaal, who's one of my favorite performers to watch right now, especially in this period of his career, um, knowing that I'm about to watch Enemy and Prisoners back-to-back for the Sweet Sweet Denis cast with Robbie, our other right. exclusive content thing, I'm like, I'm about to have me a Jake Gyllenhaal month. I am just going to be swimming in Gyllenhaal. It's going to be great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he he obviously sold the film for me. Uh Tony Collette wearing that goofy white wig with the very blunt bangs, that bob haircut that she's wearing in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her character is fine. I hate to say it, but I, I kind of feel like a lot of people could have been cast in that role. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that Tony Collette is doing very special in that role, but nor does the role itself call for anything special to really happen. Mm-hmm. She's just cheeky. She's fashionable. She's art adjacent. She's like moving yeah. on up. She's, you know, chasing a higher position, more money. Like her character is exactly what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And she wears some very fun, large color blocked coats yeah. that I really loved. I was just like, yeah, I'd wear everything that she wears in this movie, which is another thing. I think it's very artistic, obviously, because it's about art. But I think the clothing, the the costume design for this film is also very good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. It's uh, I feel like it's one of those performances like Tony Collette was cast in it because you need to have someone who is recognizable, like slightly famous on like the consciousness uh, so that like when you have that kind of reveal of a spooky image of Tony Collette later on that you're like, oh, I know who that character is. Unless it like if it was just like an unknown, you'd be like, wait, who is that? Was that that person? That was that person who has been in this movie for maybe like a collection of like six minutes, you know? Yeah. She's good though. She d- does her job. She does it well. She's good. And uh, I do think, granted, this is a bit of a spoiler. Uh, the art is spooky. People die in this movie. And uh, I will say her death scene is the best one. Uh, both execution and result of what her death actually mm-hmm. was, like what happened in the aftermath of yeah. her death, was was very entertaining and I think the most intense and actually scary uh, concepts of what death means mm-hmm. and how death can be commodified, as it was for Dees, who was the artist who was getting commodified in death, and then she also ended up being commodified in death somewhat. And... Yeah, I thought that was fun. I, I really loved that Jake Gyllenhaal line, Morph's char- the character of Morph, saying, you got to stop selling D's. And mm-hmm. I thought that was very funny. Yep, yep. <laughs> I also, I very, I like his death um, very much because I like yes. how, it was an issue I had with the first one, with the, with the first time I watched it, where I was like, his death is so anticlimactic. We, he's the main character. We don't even see it. And in watching it this time, I was like, that's a fucking point, dumbass. Like, it's not about him. The attention's not on him anymore. He doesn't even get a good exit number. The art just kills him uh, in the same way that he's killed so much art, just like with a breath for no reason. And then it's over. Now he sits in a basement somewhere, like that kind of thing. And I was like, ooh, that's pretty fucking cool. I also love him making fun of the fucking coffin at a funeral. (laughs) He's just like, fuck it. And he says something. He's like, I have to speak what I see. That's just my job. You know, that's what I do. And it's just like, this is very funny. I like it. Yeah, I liked when he was retorting Zoe Ashton's uh, comments. She was like, we're at a funeral. And he was like, what? So we have to forego taste? Yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, his character was great. Yeah, and him walking around wearing the uh, 
where like after his pupils get dilated because yes. he's like trying to change his glasses like he's walking around with those really funny these are terrible he's very good uh i love i love um like post 2010 jake gyllenhaal and I, I love pre-2010 jake gyllenhaal like let's let's not mince words here donnie darko jarhead these are excellent performances he's broke back mountain he's been doing man he'd be a good one for a series he'd be very good um that's true he uh He's just, he's been doing it forever and he just had that kind of section there with like Prince of Persia and all that stuff where it's like maybe he was just doing stuff for the wrong reasons, which you can't blame him. A guy's got to eat. But I, it's just the people he gets to work with and how he gets to kind of like use these things, use his like kind of star credibility to be able to do stuff. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of unheard of. But I will say, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal, his sister, like actually found her groove and oh, like yeah. what she's good at and what she wanted to do and the type of roles that really helped her excel. Mm-hmm. I think she found that long before Jake actually found like sure. the groove. Like now he's in the groove in his own record. Now he's just like spinning the hits. Mm-hmm. Have you seen The Lost Daughter yet? Mag- Maggie Gyllenhaal's movie? It's very, very well made, which is it is well made crazy. Like it's. For that being like the, I, I'm not sure, certain that that's her feature debut. It might be her I think debut. It is. I don't I know think if she's made is. shorts and stuff before or anything, but as as just even a full length feature debut, that is insane. Like, if I didn't know who the director was, if it wasn't Maggie Gyllenhaal and it was just some unknown kind of coming in, I'd be like, holy fucking shit. But because it's Maggie Gyllenhaal, you're also like, damn, you could do that too? Fuck yeah, go get it. That's awesome. Yeah, she's going to be – I mean, she's one to watch now for sure. But now that she's getting this acclaim that she so rightfully deserves, yeah, she's going to be one to watch in the years to come. She's going to put out some really great stuff. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, are you ready to dive in to the meat and potatoes of this episode? I am. All right. So, yeah, the this is it. The big one. Uh, we're, we're talking – Definitely one of the top five Tony Collette products we'll probably watch during this series. Uh, I would argue, I think top five, if not even closer up to one of the top spots. Uh, one of very, the, very good. One of the best movies, definitely, but also one of her strongest performances and one of the that she's most known for. Yeah, I think that's kind of inarguable, but like also very interesting you know this is the type of movie yeah yeah i think uh very frequently just like you have your social media bubbles that you're kind of like in echo chambers of things with people that have same sensibilities as you same ideas same opinions i do think the story screen family obviously it's its own bubble and we all really like this movie so We'd like to think that it's inarguable, but maybe we're just of a certain type of person that, like, really, this type of film really speaks to us. Hard to say. But yeah, so we're talking Hereditary. Uh, Ari Aster, written and directed, came out in 2018. Uh, Really kind of reinvented what the horror genre could be. Uh, I think it's pretty well known that this kind of, like, started a renaissance in horror uh, that no one really thought it needed, but clearly it's been very exciting to watch the horror films that have come out post-hereditary. 
the concept of the film for anyone who's unfamiliar. Uh, clearly, we'll be talking about it at length. So if you would if you haven't seen Hereditary yet, I would advise listening to this short plot synopsis and then stop listening to this episode <laughs> and go watch the movie and then come back and join us later. Um, Hereditary is about a woman, Annie, uh, played by Toni Collette, whose mother has just passed away. Uh, she had a very estranged relationship with her mother, and her mother was very secretive. Uh, there's been a lot of like psychological abuse in their family, and they didn't quite reconcile, but Annie became her mother's caretaker when she became closer to death, and then she dies. And afterwards, it's all about Annie's relationship with her husband and children, uh, her husband Steve, played by Gabriel Byrne. And their two children, Charlie and Peter. Peter played by Alex Wolf, the older of the two siblings. And Charlie played by Millie Shapiro. And uh, things begin to happen in their house. Uh, they don't really quite know exactly what's going on. Something else catastrophic happens to their family. And it's about dealing with grief and what does it mean to be a part of a family. It is a little bit nature versus nurture, similar to Birthmarked, kind of. There are themes and tones of that, but it's mostly about the horror that was begun by the, the matriarch of this family, Annie's mother, Ellen. And uh, yeah, super great film. That was kind of like hereditary in a nutshell. It's very scary, uh, much more so in the thoughts and ideas of what the film is trying to tell you. But it's also physically scary. I think they pull off the actual frightening imagery in the film off very well. Um, I think it's only buoyed by the fact that it's very psychologically scary. Uh, the further you get into this film, the more sinister you begin to realize what has been going on in this family. And it also has very good, scary religious overtones as well, if you are a believer of things like demons and the devil and whatnot. Um, just a great, great movie. And yeah, Toni Collette, it's nice to see her get the recognition from fans. It's widely touted and believed that she was snubbed for an Oscar nomination, and it's she absolutely was. Fucking insane. Watching this movie um, again for this, I was just like, are you got to be fucking kidding me? She's got like four Oscar clip scenes that yes. she nails that you're just like, use that one, use that one. It. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. And obviously, the movie came out at the perfect time. It came out when it needed to. It it was exactly what it needed to be. But it is a little bittersweet recognizing that if this movie were to come out and say, maybe a couple years even from now, that I think the landscape will have changed enough that she possibly could have been recognized by the Academy mm -hmm. uh, for a role like this, because these types of films are starting to get more and more recognition in that world. But... They're just awards. Like, we love talking about them, mm -hmm. but obviously, like, they're not the be-all, end-all. Like, just because she didn't get recognition for this role doesn't mean it's not a great role. Like, this is definitely her acting her ass off. You're getting her doing all of her best things. She She's screaming. She's crying. She's wailing. Uh, you know, all of those good Toni Collette expressions. Yeah, all the stuff we've come to know her for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I came late to this film because at the time I was 
pretty much a wimp when it came to watching horror films. I didn't have like my horror, uh, my chops really like sharpened and honed in on. Uh, I was like pretty timid to go out and see a film like this in theaters. So I actually watched this after the best of lists were written for that year. And obviously it would have made my list if I would have watched it prior. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched it for the best of podcast and obviously really loved it. And I would say I've probably seen this film now a good like four or five times. Um, but yeah, it gets better, I think, with each rewatch, which is great. It's kind of hard to do, I think, to just like become a better enriched film. And it's not that I'm picking up on new things. It's just that I'm getting the chance to really appreciate how nuanced and how well written this this movie is and how every little detail was thought of. It's just very good. It's a great movie. It's uh, and we've talked about it at length, you know, on other podcasts, you know, the best of year list uh, for 2018 and um, uh, the it's like it's it was on my list that year. It was on a lot of people's lists. Um, I, I was just looking up very quickly the people that got nominated for actress in a leading role, you know, which that year it went to Olivia Coleman, rightfully for the favorite. Um, and, uh, the aforementioned, uh, Yelizia Aparicio. I'm sorry if I'm killing that name. I can't, I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, and Lady Gaga for Star is Born. But then you also have Glenn Close for The Wife and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, Melissa McCarthy's- It's a good list. It's a good list. Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me? That's a really solid performance as someone who has said, like, I'm not really into a lot of the stuff that McCarthy does. She's amazing in that movie. And that movie is fucking great. Um, Glenn Close in The Wife. No. No, absolutely not. That is, one, not a very good movie. And two, not an exceptionally exciting performance. And that was just Glenn Close getting in there again. And it's like, that's where you put Tony Collette right there. You put right there. You put her right there. Because the thing that sucks is, and I I hope that I'm not right. This is a thing I'd love to be wrong about. Is like, I don't know if Tony Collette's, like, if that was her shot. You know, 20 years after her supporting actress nomination for The Sixth Sense, it's like it took forever to kind of get to something that would have that kind of, it's not even an Oscar Beatty movie, and you would kind of wouldn't expect it to have like awards conversations and stuff, but her performance in it is so powerful that it, it needed to happen. People needed to talk about it. And I'm curious if she's going to be able to land another gig that will allow her to do something so upfront, like cause she's the main character of that movie, if not a co-lead, but I, I think she's the main character of that movie. And even in something like Nightmare Alley that she's in, you know, she's like a very small character in that movie and, you know, so small that even like a supporting actress nomination, you know, probably wouldn't come into play. Not that she deserves one for Nightmare Alley, because I don't think a lot of people, I don't think really anybody in that movie deserves any awards conversations, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there, whatever. They, people can, you can like and hate whatever you want. It's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm nervous that maybe that, that, that was that was her shot. That, you know, she unfortunately is getting to that age where she's probably not getting offered as many lead roles and stuff like that, which is unfortunate. And we were talking about before, like, it's fun to just see her play a woman, 
I am woman and not just like, I'm the mom, you know? And like, I'm like, I am your mother. Like, I love that. That's the one of my favorite things in the world. That's one, one of my top 10 favorite things in the world. It's Tony Collette saying, I am your mother. And she like points at her chest. It's great. Oh, she's so good in this goddamn movie. And finishing a thought that I've been rambling on about for like three minutes, I'm nervous that she's not going to get another opportunity to have like a lead role that's as juicy and just built for Tony Collette's engine. Like her, her entire makeup and filmography was kind of leading up to Hereditary. You know, this is very much a hindsight kind of uh, critical opinion to have. But like in watching all of it, it's like that character and that performance, whether it required it or not, ultimately it wouldn't be as good of a movie and as good of a performance without Tony Collette's like ability to be both kind of like like self-aware and funny, but also do like that do that thing with her face where like her mouth is like wide open and she's like terrified and um being able to kind of just like panic and be, you know, like there's there's just as much kind of like Muriel's wedding, you know, and um what's the is it Connie and Carla like there's just like uh, there's uh, just as much of that kind of like manic character in this just in hereditary just as much as there is like that kind of intense you know like unlocked like her performance in that or Imperium even like where it's like the more intense thrillers and stuff she's kind of bringing them together um and it's like I, I remember when we first watched Muriel's wedding and she has that scene where she cries in the wedding dress and she does that <laughs> you know like with their mouth wide open and like just completely broken and you're like there it is 30 years ago it's right there in front of all of us um it's just it's it's a performance that makes the movie better and the movie is already extremely well made and that's what kind of just like jettisons it into just being a fantastic 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 movie it's the same thing that I say about Florence Pugh in Ari Aster's follow-up film Midsummer. Is like Midsummer is a great, great movie. That was my favorite movie of that year. Because again, notably, I am a little beast who loves pain and deserves nothing. Um <laughs> it's a lot like that, where it's like, that's a great movie. And Florence Pugh's performance, she's so perfect for it, it just elevates it. And you're just like, God, I can't believe this thing. Yeah. I, I think I share your same fears and apprehensions moving forward with Tony Collette's career. Um, I certainly haven't seen any trailers for films for the, the episode that we ha- won't record yet. Like all of the things that we have in our little file yeah, where it's like she's come out with like Dream Horse. Yeah, and blah, Stowaway, blah, blah. pieces of her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nightmare Alley. Those, Nightmare Alley. Uh, those are roles that I agree with you. Nothing that I've seen in trailer form yet has been like, Oh, that's going to be something that could elevate her to like an Oscar conversation. Um, and unfortunately too, I don't know if you share the same views, but I think I don't outright hate biopics. Uh, some biopics are very enjoyable, but I do tend to feel like when you're watching a biopic, you constantly have that thought in your head where you're like, is this Oscar bait? Was this a movie sure. made to get awards or was it a movie made because they thought it was actually interesting and a story worth telling? Mm-hmm. And I do feel like the older an actress becomes, the the more often she's cast in either throwaway roles that 
don't really amount to much. Or she gets – they get roles that are in biopics. And they just become somewhat less interesting uh, characters to watch, especially when you really, really like a particular actor or actress. Um, sometimes you can kind of feel like they're shackled by the fact that it's based off of a real character. Sure. Um, I tend to get much more excited when it comes to original content. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps the last uh, movie that we will talk about, which is kind of in the same train as Hereditary, is I'm thinking of ending things. Like that was another original role that was just like captivating to watch because you didn't know what that character was going to do. You mm-hmm. didn't know what they were going to say. Um, I, I like it a lot better when we get to see Tony Collette like really just kind of unleash and become this character. And granted, she's been in some great stuff uh, in the past where she has played real real people, and she's very good at doing that too. But I do also kind of fear that a work like Hereditary not getting recognized to that degree is very disconcerting. And it's kind of like, yeah, that was the opportunity. That was the role. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we all hate seeing actors or directors getting granted Oscars because the Academy is like, we fucked up. <laughs> we should have given it to sure, him back even then. nominations this is and stuff, like, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of like the consolation prize. Mm-hmm. But I do think – Tony Collette, she clearly likes to stay busy and she loves what she does. So she's definitely churning out the content. So yeah, we can just keep our fingers crossed that she's going to choose some very great work in the future. Because obviously, exciting directors are still very interested in her, like Ryan Johnson casting her in Knives Out. Like, I think directors want to work with her, Mm -hmm. which is a good sign that she'll probably pick up some really interesting projects in the next, you know, decade still. Um, but yeah, I do think Hereditary is very singular in originality. The fact that it was like a, a new director, writer coming on the scene, uh, a good story, and just like really spining, like shining a spotlight on Tony Collette. Like, I don't know if we'll get that connection, that level of new things that are checking all the boxes where it made Hereditary just like fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was just like, how did this even happen? It's so good. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. in like, you know, she needs, she needs like a Shirley, like Elizabeth Moss, Moss Shirley. Like she needs a movie that's like a biopic, but it's like well-made and, you know, maybe a little artsy independent on the lower scale, very small that she can really just like, that can just be like this, this like great gateway for her to just, project all of the things that are so special about her talents and everything. And it just sucks because she did that in hereditary and it's like, yeah, it's a horror movie. And you know, again, this came out, this came out the year after get out. Like Mm -hmm. she should that like the conversation should already be over that horror movies can be nominated for these things and that they are worth it. And uh, I don't know, man, I don't know. It's very crazy. That she didn't get nominated. Uh, not even just like a personal stance of like watching Hereditary and seeing everything that she's doing. You know, this was like the third or fourth time I've seen the film watching it. And I'm just like, it's right there. What are you doing? Like, it's like even Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, which I think is a fantastic performance. And honestly, I'm very glad Olivia Coleman won. It's fantastic. Um, she's she's one of my OGs. I love her very much. Um mm-hmm. But I'm just like, Tony Collette's performance is is doing so much in that. And I get that part of Olivia Coleman's performance in The Favorite and why it's so special is how 
much she's doing restrained. Like it almost looks like she's not doing too much. And it, that's very hard to do. I get it. And I understand that they're like kind of dynamic opposite ends of this kind of acting spectrum that I'm talking about. But it's just right there on the screen, guys. Like you just like, like no disrespect to Melissa McCarthy, but I'm just like, play a scene from Can You Ever Forgive Me? And then play a scene from Hereditary. And I'm just like, look, just look at this. Melissa McCarthy will get her shot. She will get her shot. And I just feel like the same thing with Glenn Close. They were just like, is Melissa McCarthy going to get her shot after this? Like, is this it? Should we give it to her? You know, again, deserving. It's a very, very good performance. The Glenn Close thing, though, I don't get. I mean, I guess she's good. She's just weird. She's a strange person. She's a very, very strange person, (laughs) that that Glenn Close. Yeah, I think when it comes to what the Academy, I guess, is looking for, I feel like they're, yeah, misguided and obviously not paying attention to the right things. Because, yeah, I think Melissa McCarthy's role in that film good for sure and i think people were shocked to see her in a role like that which definitely got the conversation going um and i do think she plays well off of the other actors but i don't feel like she's necessarily drawing out something in those other actors in the same way that tony collette is drawing things out in the actors that she was in in hereditary mm-hmm. i think the academy should be paying more attention to the push and pull of what an actor is doing in the scene not just the lines that they're saying in the performance they deliver singularly. Mm-hmm. I think the way Tony Collette pulls out those performances in Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf, Ugh, Alex Wolf, and even movie, Anne man. Dowd. Yeah, I don't think those those actors would have gotten to go where they needed to be if it weren't for Tony Collette being in the scene with them, helping them get to those places that they needed to be in those scenes. And I think she really is the anchor, like really like pushing and pulling with them, engaging with them to the point where it's like a standout on every actor in that film. Uh, everyone's really firing on, on all cylinders. And I do think that is because Tony Collette is so committed to that role. And she's really pulling those performances out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a much more interesting thing to watch than just someone playing a very interesting character very well, kind of singularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the ensemble cast in... Hereditary, I think, is the interesting part with obviously Tony Collette being the star of the show, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, the the cries that Alex Wolf does in this is just that and it's Tony Collette gets those out of him. Like it's just like the his like his like bah, 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 <laughs> like is there and I was laughing so hard this time watching this movie. <laughs> And Diana, I was watching it with Diana, and she was like, why are you laughing? What are you laughing at? And I'm like, they're just losing their fucking minds. Like, look at them. And it's like Alex Wolf, halfway through this movie, is just, he has lost it. And he's just trying to hold himself together, and all this weird shit keeps happening. And he's always high as fuck, and he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Um, and he's just got that amazing... That amazing, like, moan cry that that does, like, and he's just, like, freaking out. And I was just laughing my ass off this time watching it because it's – I've watched it so many times now where it's, like, I can kind of get over the creepiness and the disturbing nature of it all and now really take it in as, like, the pure – you know, like the entertainment art that it is. Like, it's it's the same thing with Midsummer. It's, like, the more you watch that movie – the funnier it gets where you can just like really laugh with because Ari Aster is a very funny 
uh, writer and director. I think he, even though his movies are extremely dark and demented and have this reputation of being uh, uh, soul devouring, which they are, I think they're also extremely entertaining and very funny. He writes very funny dialogue for like, you know, um, uh, what's it? The Will Potier character in Midsummer yeah. is so good. He's so great. There's an amazing line in Hereditary that's in the background with Alex Wolf's like buddies smoking weed under the bleachers, where the dude says something. He's like, "Yeah, he calls his girlfriend princess. Can you believe that? <laughs> Who calls their girlfriend princess? He's like, "Yeah, I'll be right there, princess. I love you, princess. Who does that?" And I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, "That's really funny." And it's just like in the background of Alex Wolf having a panic attack because he knocked his sister's head off. You're just like, "This is great. I love this. This is fantastic." And we haven't even really talked about that big twist in the movie, which was like the fucking twist heard round the world. People were talking about this thing so respectfully while it was said. They're like, well, something happens in that movie that you don't see coming. And when I saw this thing, I had no idea that that happened. The movie had an amazing marketing strategy from A24 where they were presenting it as a very different movie than what it was, but not tonally. You still got the a disturbing movie that you thought you were seeing you just thought it was a different type of story one that maybe we've seen many times before um and they just you know if, if you're listening to this now you've you've seen the movie we told you you should, definitely should have seen the movie and um the sisters the sister character was kind of presented as like this possessed kind of person it's gonna be creepy kid that kind of movie and uh no about 20 minutes in uh her head gets knocked off by a telephone pole and um immediately then the movie kind of switches to alex wolf as a co-lead and not just like the son character and it is kind of interesting watching the first 20 minutes that are very tony collette focused like it's she is the main character. And then all of a sudden this thing happens and you start getting a lot more narrative point of view scenes with Alex Wolf. You know, it's like he was only really ever showing up when Tony Collette was also there to interact. And now all of a sudden it's just him, baby. And that I remember my theater screaming when that happened. Uh, I, a two, two different sets of people got up and walked out. Um, they were like, absolutely fucking like, not. Nope. No. If it's already gone here, where else will Cause it go? Again, Cause you have another hour and a half of the movie and you're like, well, oh my God. <laughs> yes. And it's, it really is. Um, it comes out of nowhere. It's extremely shocking and disturbing for me. A big thing in that is the, uh, the nut allergy because Diana is allergic to nuts. And that's a very, very serious fear that we have a lot. And I've seen that happen to her and I've seen it happen to other people and I know how scary it is and they they do it so realistically and so there's already that kind of level of tension in my body happening when I'm watching it and so when that when the telephone pole happens it just comes out of nowhere and it's so fast and it's over like that and it's just the way Alex Wolf breathes afterwards where he's like just sitting there crying a little bit but he's like like he can't like his like his body is actively i think trying to die but like there's nothing wrong yes. with him that would make him stop living but his body is like okay we should shut down everything should shut down right now we're uh, done now yeah it's a it's a phenomenal little thing um which is great when it first comes out because you don't know what's happening and the marketing is different but it's also now just become 
you know, even just like uh, four years later, that's like one of the best moments in cinema history, I would say. Like that's top 50. Like that's up there with like, you know, Stella or like I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse or whatever the fuck they say in that movie. Um, it's like that. It's like this big, big, gigantic moment that I feel like anybody who saw Hereditary in theaters when it first came out because of the A24 buzz was just like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Uh, watching that scene even just, you know, earlier in the week, my hand still reflexively, without me thinking about it, still goes to cover my mouth yeah. after that scene. Just like, <gasps> And I know it's coming every time, and it's definitely the hardest scene to watch. Actually, like, that entire party scene. Like, as soon as I get to the party, I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, right, shit. Get ready. <laughs> get ready for what's coming. Because mm-hmm. um, you're right. Ari Aster definitely knows how to marry, like, actual contemporary real-world silliness. Mm-hmm. Like, being a high schooler or being a college-age student like they are in Midsummer. Uh, like, just being, like, stupid, doofy you know, adolescence slash early adulthood, like we're dummies. Like we were dummies back then. And he somehow manages to put those dummy characters and these like ridiculous coming of age scenarios and problems and still managing to not take away from the horror of of the film overall. Like there's some really weird magic he's doing behind the scenes when he's writing these films to be able to still capture that like sense of dread, even though characters are talking about a girlfriend being called princess. <laughs> and yeah, just like ridiculous things. Um yeah. And, and he does was, he does funny things like when they're on their way to the party. Uh, and they pass the telephone pole. He sits on the telephone pole. And you, he does. You, and there's a symbol on it, which comes into play later. And you think that that's why we're focusing on the telephone pole. Little do you know <laughs> that in a few minutes, that telephone pole is going to change the way that you look at every telephone pole on the side of the road for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, and there, there, But there's yeah. something darkly funny about that. And there's something darkly funny about the entire event of her getting her head knocked off because it's so extreme and it's so over dramatic she can't breathe she rolls the window down she sticks her head out oh my god there's something in the street there's a swerve clunk and it's just like the way it's cut the sound effects and everything it's extremely disturbing and very realistic and horrifying but there is this kind of like there's this kind of like trickster element to it uh, that Ari Aster has where he's just like hmm, right you like that and we're like no we don't like that and he's like yeah you do yeah yeah come on it's there's that kind of sensibility that I think makes his disturbing moments in his movies that much much more entertaining which is why oh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in like a non-horror element with like his next movie um, Disappointment Boulevard which is a great name um, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same with like, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Robert Eggers, who's t- talking about, he wants to do something that's not horror. He's going to do something that's more like action adventure. And then you see the trailer for the Northman. You're like, I don't know, man, it looks pretty fucking scary to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> looks like you're not getting too far away yeah. from your normal. Although wheelhouse. it does yeah. look great. And I'm very stoked on that because give me super creepy Eggers Defoe any goddamn day. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I love uh, going back to like the goofiness of the the head coming off. I do love that scene later on too. the fact that Annie, Tony Collette's character, 
makes small miniatures and that's like mm-hmm. her artist that's what she does and later on you see her detailing the scene of the accident with that giant telephone pole yeah and making that tiny miniature of her daughter's head mm-hmm. lying on the side of the road just really funny that Ari Aster like keeps sticking your nose in it he was like oh no we're gonna keep talking about this mm-hmm. I also love the opening it's got an all-timer opening with like the pan on like the small the small house and like slowly going in and then it's actually in the room Ari Aster uses like lenses and like space so fucking windows, crazy yeah. I don't know how he gets some of these like full body shots it's fucking insane um I remember hearing about, like, I can't remember what festival this premiered at. Um, I want to say that it was um, TIFF. I want to say that it was Toronto, but it might have been somewhere else. I don't know. Um, But I remember hearing about the first, like, reviews of this thing and that the first audience to see that opening, like, people were, like, gasping just at, like, that one opening where it, like, slowly goes in and then Gabriel Byrne walks in and Alex Wolf is in the bed. Yeah, and you're just like, fuck, I can't imagine, like... That's the other thing, too. It's, like, hereditary. It's Ari Aster. I remember the first time I watched it. I don't know who the fuck Ari Aster is. Now he's one of my favorite directors, and he has a thing that he does, and he does it well, and it's just so funny to think about innocent little you going in to see Hereditary. Tra-la-la-la-la. Gonna go see this new horror movie. Looks really fucked up. Tra-la-la-la-la. And then to just have your your world just completely, like, shattered. Oh, yeah. And I was raised religious, and I I believe in certain things. And so, like, the, the conceit of, like, Paimon, this, like, demon lord being put into someone's actual body and, like, the cult around the whole idea of, like, putting payment in the right body is like very terrifying to me and yeah i think the movie works on a lot of levels and that's even kind of like the understated almost part of the the film Mm. um but yeah i will say that i don't know when i was younger certain like horror things have really stuck with me uh i had to read the shining in college for an english class and i hadn't read the shining yet and then it was very difficult for me to go into the the dorm ladies bathroom because there was a bathtub in there and I had like I had seen the movie before, but it was the image that Stephen King painted in the book for me that like it was difficult to go in that space. Mm-hmm. And now ever since Hereditary, if I wake up from a bad dream or even like a good dream, sometimes like if I'm in a spooky mood, if I get woken up and if I'm awake long enough and it doesn't take long for me to like think of other scary things, it's Tony Collette up in the corner <laughs> right. of my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm awake long enough to remember that, I'm like, oh, man, it's going to take me another, like, 20 minutes to fall asleep. Yeah, the, the so, way he uses, like, light and dark shadows and stuff like that, there's that great moment with – um, he uses it a couple times for a couple scares, but that the best one, I think, is the moment with the mom standing in the corner just smiling at her, and she thinks she sees her mom, and she turns the light on, and it's just gone. And then you have the moment where you think you see someone sitting in the corner – Uh, Charlie, but you don't. And then you do see Charlie like standing there, like looking at him. There you go. And then you see like the the ball. The head, the ball. And it's like, and it wasn't a head. It was just a ball Mm -hmm. the whole time. Yeah. And he's just like. (laughs) 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 Losing his fucking mind, the poor kid. Yeah. At that point, go somewhere else. Move to a new town. (laughs) See if you can stay with an aunt or an uncle somewhere. Yeah. It's definitely. They're trying to kill me. Like he's, like, he's just losing his fucking shit. It's 
it's crazy. It's good. It's such a, it's also such a great example of like tension and release in horror. Like they just keep racketing up the tension and just barely releasing it, but just enough where you just get a break at any moment. And then when the movie finally does break, you're just like, Frah! yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great film. Great movie. We love it. Great movie we and worth the wait to get there. Definitely. Definitely. It it was nice to know that this, when we were trudging through all of the Tony Collette stuff that we're not too wild about, which hasn't been very many, mm-hmm. it is nice to remember it was like, oh, hereditaries in our future. <laughs> hereditaries in our future. I mean, I'm also, I'm so jazzed right now about some of the next movies that we're doing in our last episode, you know, for at least a, a while, you know, we have to talk about what we're doing next too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll read you a quick Please. list of, of things that we're going to get into. Um, so the next episode, the title is going to be I'm Thinking of Ending Things, because mm-hmm. that's the one that you and I wanted to definitely sink our teeth into the most. Um, but the list includes Knives Out, Unbelievable, which was a Netflix series. Have you watched Unbelievable before? I have not. Great. I, I've seen the trailer, Excited. though. It was something that I did want to catch. And then I think I just got caught up in the the 2020 watch. Oh, I hear you. So, yeah. Knives Out. Unbelievable. Dust, which is a series of four shorts. We have Odd Squad. She's in one episode of this show called Odd Squad. We have Dream Horse. We have Stowaway. And then, of course, the title film. I'm thinking of ending things. So those are the films we're going to get into films and other shorts what have you that we're gonna get into next time and then we'll take a break for a little bit then we'll take a break for a little bit and figure out what we're gonna do next do something else and then kind of come back and revisit uh i think uh, in the same way that we do the right stuff where it's like whenever edgar wright makes a new movie or two we'll kind of go back and do it and i think with any actors and stuff that we do moving forward, it's always like, let's get enough for like a full episode, like pack on a couple. And I would imagine for the most part, that's going to be kind of an annual thing. Cause I feel like most people generate anywhere between three and five films, like projects per year, especially when they work as much as Tony Collette does. And yeah, I think that makes sense. The only thing that's weird is like, all right, so now I'm going to, I'm definitely going to have to rewatch nightmare alley. Like eventually when we, when we cover it, um, and then it's yeah, like, I think we're watching that tonight. You are? I think so. Fun, fun, <laughs> fun. Um, <laughs> enjoy, uh, Bradley Cooper's dick. It's, uh, fun. Um, yep. You know, I actually didn't know about that. You so. didn't know about that. Oh, I didn't. Keep your eyes peeled, Bernadette. We'll see. We'll today, see. Today was the year. Today was the year of, of the pee pee. There's a lot of PP, a lot of famous PPs in a lot of big movies. Very much so. Or or small series like Oscar Isaac in uh, Scenes of a Marriage. Oh wait! Oh my! Oh really? Did we talk about this? Oh my God! You get to you get to see it. It's it's blink and you'll miss it. It's oh, very shadowy. I've got but... streaming and I can pause it. <laughs> uh, I'd love to check out Little Oscar. Not to be not to be me, like you know rude or anything like that. I just I I want to. <laughs> I'd love to know what's going on. And if he's down with showing everybody, then that's cool. I'm down with that too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Nightmare Alley. I'll get through it. 
I, yeah, I, be fine. I don't know what to think yet. You'll be fine. be fine. Take a break whenever you want. Don't 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 take it too seriously. You'll be okay. Just yeah. <laughs> get on through. <laughs> but yeah, listeners, obviously, if you've made it this far, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening to another episode of the Colette stuff. Uh, this is obviously on our exclusive podcast streaming. At as of now, this episode might have gone live or gone public at some point in the future. So if you're listening to this way in the future. Thank you as well for listening. Obviously, a couple of the podcasts that we have coming up that are really exciting are the Oscar Predictions podcast, which we love recording. We'll definitely talk more about Nightmare Alley and other films uh, during that podcast. Not Dream Horse. <laughs> Not Dream Horse. Poor Dream Horse. <laughs> um, other episodes that you have to look forward to, uh, Diana Jamiro and I are going to cover Pam and Tommy on Hulu. Another another PP. Another PP movie. Another PP movie. Red Rocket PP. Yep, yep, yep. I think uh Scotty and I, and I'll see if anyone else wants to be on this. I think we're gonna cover Euphoria, which also has a lot of PPs. Does it have a lot of PPs? <laughs> That's great. What a what a great time to be alive. <laughs> but yeah, do you have anything you would like to plug, Burge, before we say goodbye? Sayonara. Great phrasing of that uh segueing from talking about peepees um <laughs> no uh no uh you know movie daddy if you're on the exclusive content thing that's continuing uh i will say that i know that we are uh we're kind of there's some big stuff planned um for both the site and the exclusive content we're going to be making some uh changes soon but i think it's going to really be for the better and really kind of iron out a lot of our enjoyment in making these things and also yours as well, the listeners and how we get everything to everybody that hopefully I think will definitely also allow us to be able to generate more content and stuff, which is something that we want to do. And also everybody keeps telling us that they'd like to. So we're trying to figure out a way to be able to really make that happen. So stay tuned. That's really the big thing that I would plug is that in the next next couple months, we're going to be doing some pretty cool things. I'm also really excited to talk to you about what we want to maybe do after after next month's episode, our our final Colette for now, because um, uh, I've got some ideas. I know we we've, we've tossed some stuff back and forth, um, kind of like randomly, but never really solidified anything because we're just like, well, Lord knows when that will be, because it feels like this right. was going to last forever, and um, it's over next month. So I'm I'm excited for that too. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, listeners, for your continued support. And just your general being there for us. We really appreciate that. And thank you, Burge, for joining me this snowy February morning. Yeah, we're for another episode. Snowy. It's a little snowy out there. Yeah. All right. Well, this is it for now. We will catch you next time, listeners, and take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.